Hello and welcome to another episode of the Storytellers Podcast. In this episode, I have the pleasure of talking once again with an old professor of mine, Douglas McFarlane, a chemistry professor at Monash University. He featured previously on the podcast uh, discussing fossil, f- sorry, discussing renewable energy sources and technologies for the future. And in this conversation, which kind of led from that one, we go over our global food supply and the production of our food supply, in particular our agricultural food supply. And we discuss how, at least at this point in time, the consumption of fossil fuels is inextricably linked to the production of certain foods and also certain components of um, that agricultural system. And we find that, or at least Douglas elucidates us on the fact that a transition away from renewable, from fossil fuels to a renewable energy source within those systems might not be as easy as you might hope, as we might hope, and may in fact have some unintended consequences for certain groups. So, without further ado, I give you Douglas. McFarlane. So, today I have the pleasure of talking again to Douglas McFarlane, a professor of chemistry at Monash University. Douglas featured on the first episode of the podcast talking about renewable technologies and sustainable fuels for the future. So, Douglas, thanks for joining me again. Hi Lucy, Lucy and happy to do so. Awesome, cool. So last time we spoke, we talked at length about the topics that I just just mentioned, but there was one little topic that we pr- talked about prior to that podcast and I think very briefly just glossed over within it. And that was the topic of our food supply, our global food supply and our agricultural system being founded upon and very, very much powered by um, fossil fuels um, in the form of nitrogen production for or ammonia production um, as a fertilizer for those systems. So I suppose, and, uh, and this episode is now to... A brief little segment to touch on that and explore it a little, and explore that a little more, and the implications that that has for our global quest for a more sustainable and greener future. So, Douglas, maybe to kick us off with that, you could just um, reiterate w- why it is that fossil fuels are so. Um, crucial to this production of of ammonia as a as a fertilizer for crop supplies. Um, right. So artificial fertilizers are um, very much a, a completely um, central part of, of modern ag- agriculture. It's a it's a, a simple fact that uh, the, the the planet Earth could not support the population of humans that we currently do today um, without artificially produced fertilizers and this was a this was a, 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 um, a technology shall we say that that um, was developed in the 
early 1900s, sort of around about 1908 or, or thereabouts, was when the, the, first, of, the first breakthroughs in, in, in making um, artificial fertilizers. Prior to that, it was, it was bird guano and, um, and rock phosphates and, and various uh, quite difficult to access forms of unlimited uh, forms of fertilizers that were available. Um, and uh, two, two very famous chemists, um, uh, Haber and Bosch, um, working somewhat together, but uh, in the end, uh, one, uh, Bosch more or less uh, came after um, Haber, developed this process by which nitrogen from the air around us um, could be um, separated from the air and then, and then reduced um, with hydrogen in a, in a high temperature, high pressure reactor, so a bit of, bit of heavy duty chemistry here, um, to produce ammonia. And from ammonia, you can you can directly produce um, you can you can use it directly as it is as a fertilizer. But you can also produce um, all of the common common or garden fertilizers that we use today, including urea and um, ammonium phosphate and ammonium sulfate. So those are all the sorts of things that you would find in in um, in the the box of fertilizer um, soluble fertilizer that you would buy in in the in the supermarket or in the hardware store. Mm -hmm. uh, the the thing that and I that was a that was a very that was a very significant process, wasn't it? Because typically, ammonia splitting ammonia, um, a triple triple bonded um, molecule is uh, N two, sorry, is is very difficult and only occurs under very extreme conditions, say within part of volcanoes or at in in through lightning strikes. So. That was a very um, that was that ability to artificially fixate nitrogen was really quite quite a significant development. That's right. Yeah, a very very stable molecule, so it's very hard to get it to do anything um, mm. by way of chemical reactions, which is exactly what we're trying to do here. So, so mm. the the point that I, I just mentioned um, and then moved on a moment ago was was of course that uh, we use hydrogen in this process. And the hydrogen uh, comes from fossil fuels, uh, in particular natural gas. Uh, there are some um, Haber-Bosch plants in the world that actually use coal, which is an even, an even more um, effectively non-sustainable process than using natural gas. Um, but, uh, but most modern plants uh, in the Western world use, use natural gas. And for that reason, the, the um, factories, the plants are often situated wherever there is a large supply of natural gas. In Australia's case, some of the significant um, uh, plants are up in the, the far northwest of Western Australia where there is the, 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 all of the northwest gas. Um, so, so as you make the hydrogen then from the, the natural gas in a process um, called steam methane reforming, uh, and you know, that's a fancy words for just a, a rather simple chemical reaction which reacts the, the natural gas with water um, and produces hydrogen and here's the, here's the bad outcome finally coming out here, CO2. So, so the carbon that is in that, is in mm. that fossil fuel um, is eventually emitted as carbon dioxide um, from this process and uh, there's a very mm -hmm. simple relationship in the end then, sort of simple stoichiometric chemistry that relates the amount of ammonia that's produced um, to the amount of, of carbon dioxide that is, is produced. So it's a, an intimate relationship. Um, mm -hmm. All of our fertilizers um, are, are effectively a fossil fuel product and therefore all of our, 
food is effectively a fossil fuel product. Mm. Based on this, what you call black black hydrogen, uh, which we touched on, um, or blue hydrogen, if that CO2 is then being um, captured and sequestered somewhere else, but typically at such a large scale in particular, um, black hydrogen, uh, that very unsustainable form of hydrogen. That's right, which is an almost entirely yeah, the situation right. today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wondered if you might be able to just provide us with an idea of the the amount of CO2 being emitted as a byproduct of our uh, ammonia production efforts for for a global food supply. So um, in, in round numbers globally, about 2% of CO2 um, emissions globally um, come from fertilizer production. So it's a... It's a mm significant um, amount of CO2 which ultimately will have to be be addressed as we try to pair back on all sources of, of CO2 emissions. Yeah, and because part of the move for to sustainability in a greener world is obviously, let's say, or at least what's been tied in with that is a movement away from, um, and perhaps with the ethical changes, the broad sort of ethical changes that come with that is a move away from livestock and livestock farming and towards a more vegetarian world perhaps where, where our food supply is perhaps based more heavily upon um, crops um, which of course themselves take up a lot of land and as we've just seen as, as we're discussing right now have their own have their own carbon footprint which is in fact quite Extensive. So I was wondering if you had a comparison, perhaps you uh, at hand between greenhouse gas emissions from agricultural food supply from crops versus from livestock, say from from cattle. Yeah. So farming around the world. Perhaps as a, a, an intermediate um, stepping stone towards that kind of comparison. So. Um, the the two percent globally, and uh, it's it's hard to pin that to any down to any particular country because of course fertilizers are an internationally mm. traded commodity. A lot of the, um, the mm -hmm. urea that we use in Australia is is produced in China, for example. Um, so it's best to look at that in a global sense. Uh, it's it's worth noting that by the mm -hmm. time we've um, taken that that urea or that ammonia out of the factory and finally you know put it on a ship moved it around in trucks moved it around in the tractor and finally got it in uh, onto the land we've probably um, doubled a bit more than doubled that co2 um, footprint so, so by the time you don't you've time you finally got it to so that's not factored into that too no that's just production that's just the, the chemistry if you like or producing so yeah, yeah. Add all, add all these other parts, which, uh, of course, mm -hmm. are inevitably part of the story. We are probably upwards around of about 5% of uh, global uh, emissions are related mm -hmm. to that production and supply yeah, okay. and application of fertilizers. So then, then, of course, the next step that you're asking about is, well, how does this then, then ultimately play into... Um, the, uh, the the food that we eat and and the 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 first thing to of course note is that the further up the food chain um, 
the, the source of our food is, in other words, um, livestock as opposed to, to crops. Um, the, the, effectively, the efficiency of, of the utilization of that fertilizer goes down. Um, in other words, the amount of, of uh, this is the flip side of the coin, then the amount of nitrogen that is used to produce the grass that feeds the, the cattle that we ultimately eat as meat, of course, is, is much greater than if we just ate the equivalent amount of, 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 uh, of crops of, of so on. So there's no question that, uh, that the higher up the food chain we are, the, the less efficient we are um, in terms of, of that nitrogen usage, mm -hmm. or alternatively, the bigger our carbon footprint is with that food because of the amount of, of uh, and it's mm -hmm. gone into to making that, that food at the higher up the yeah. So it's not ammonia. It's not nitrogen just for crops. It's for it's for cattle farming yeah. too. Yeah. Well, it, it's something it, that needs to be considered. Yeah. It, it goes into everything that uh, that ultimately we eat. Uh, the, the the cattle eat the grass, and the grass is fertilized with those with those fertilizers. Um, but of course, the efficiency, if you like, mm -hmm. of calories eaten is probably the simplest way of looking at it. Calories eaten as beef is has used ultimately a lot more uh, fertilizer to make it than um, than the equivalent number of calories as, say, wheat um, eaten. So, I'm not a vegetarian, by the way. I just, it's just it, it is the reality of the situation. Um, then there's the secondary. So we're just talking then about the carbon emissions that are yeah. implicit in our food, right, because of fertilizers um, and, the, mm -hmm. and the application of them. But there's, um, when, you, when you mention cattle, there's a, there's a secondary um, issue there, and maybe there's even a third issue I'll come back to. But it's the secondary issue with with um, livestock, all livestock, um, but worse with cattle than, than sheep and, and other livestock, is of course the methane um, emissions that come from their their um, metabolism, from their stomachs, basically. Um, which in in, a, in mm. Australia, for example, something like 11% of our um, uh, greenhouse gas emissions of all sorts um, come from that particular source. So, really, that's crazy. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot of farting cows. Well, <laughs> look, look. In, in all fairness to the cows, it's not it's not farts. Um, it's it's more belches. Uh, it's it comes out of their stomach. Comes up out of their stomach. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, uh, and the, yeah, okay. the, the thing to explain, of so course, it, is... So it's not really a, it's not really a Okay, so, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, continue. the thing to explain, first of all, of course, is that this is not um, uh, carbon dioxide. So uh, it's important to realize that there are a number of, of uh, greenhouse gases that go into the, the overall uh, um, um, greenhouse phenomenon, shall we say. Um, CO2 is, is one of the biggies. Um, methane itself, which is what we're talking about here that is, that is in um, cattle belches, um, is, 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 is um, another molecule, methane, um, but is, is also quite important as a, a greenhouse generating uh, gas. So, um, so mitigating, you know, mm -hmm. getting to, to zero carbon uh, or, or carbon neutral, we, we have to tackle all of these different forms of carbon emissions because they all have um, an impact on the atmosphere. Yeah, CO2 is very much focused upon, but the, in reality, though methane does not last as long in the atmosphere, in, its, in that form, it's, 
its uh, its impact, its 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 ability to cause greenhouse to cause global warming is much is much greater than um, CO two by quite a few f factors. Right? Is that right? I've I've forgotten what the um, right comparison is, but it's quite significant in terms of how much more how the intensity of C uh, methane comparison to CO2? Uh, that, that number is not immediately in my mind either. Um, perhaps when we're talking about comparing different gases, it's also then worthwhile bringing into the discussion um, uh, another gas, nitrous oxide. Um, lots of people know of nitrous oxide as, a, as something that you can use to juice up the performance of, a, of an engine. Um, uh, but it's also... Um, it's also emitted from from uh, fields after they've been fertilized, and even by um, uh, also in, in in cattle rearing. Um, so nitrous oxide is a, is a very potent. I think it is probably the one of the most mm -hmm. commonly emitted um, um, uh, mm -hmm. potent gases. Um, Three hundred times um, per molecule more potent than uh, carbon dioxide. So. So nitrous oxide is, is, is another baddie, if you like, that, um, that we have to focus on. Um, and cattle rearing, as I say, is a significant part of, of the story there. Um, in, in reaching um, climate neutrality, so to speak, if, we're, if we want to, it's not just about carbon, in, in other words, uh, nitrous oxide would also have to be on the list of things to be, to be eliminated. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, so... Well, that's an interesting point, and maybe well, that sort of stems. That sits at a higher level. So, what we can maybe talk about now is, well, okay, well, what are the implications then of a of a global food supply based very heavily upon the production of ammonia, um, as a or or fertilizer, and that fertilizer being produced through or in in a um, alongside the emittance of CO2. And if we have aspirations for a something like an electric economy, perhaps, or a renewable economy, that's a major um, industry that's going to have to be revamped. Um, and that's a... Uh, well, firstly, you, the, the Haber-Bosch process itself, is, I'm sure, is quite energy intensive. So that's something that's going to have to require a lot of energy just to power that to begin with. But then to, to produce that... Um, that uh, that uh, hydrogen from the first point as 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 green hydrogen, if we're being um, if we're being let's say optimal here, how do you how do you see that playing out in terms of our that being a sort of possible how easy of that transition that's going to be um, moving away from say black hydrogen to green hydrogen for ammonia and if because it sounds like there's not really if we want our food supply to continue, we still, in the way that it is, um, barring some major innovation in, in crop genetics, which already happened, I think, in the Green Revolution in the 60s or so, um, then we're still going to be producing and using these, these um, fertilizers, and they're still going to be emitting, say, through um, nitrous, nitrous oxides, which is, that's a whole other sort of question, but just first going back to the hydrogen production, where, how do you see that playing out? 
Yeah, so the, we, we talked about this to some extent in the previous podcast, but um, the, mm. one of the steps there is, is uh, to use green hydrogen into the Haber-Bosch process. So the, 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 the chemistry remains the same, but the source of the hydrogen is now different. And that, that green hydrogen, what we mean by that, of course, is that it's made with renewable energy. That's the energy source, and then the hydrogen carries the energy into the process, so to speak. So at that point, um, we've eliminated all of the all of the, the, the carbon, the fossil carbon that um, that otherwise is associated with producing fertilizers. So, so um, uh, a step is happening already. Um, a lot of research going in around the world on 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 you know doing this most efficiently, etc., and including in our own group on on a next generation technology that uh, that even. Um, it removes the need for the Haber-Bosch process itself and just relies on electrolysis to make the ammonia. That process um, becomes... Oh, okay, more, yes. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that process becomes more significant in, in when we start talking about nitrous oxide emissions from fields um, because the, the ability to, in the, in the sort of electrolysis approach to... Um, producing fertilizers allows it to be done on a, on a relatively small scale, even on a, a farm by farm scale. Um, and what that would mean is that, the, that mm. every farmer has got, got control over the, the production of fertilizers as needed, when needed, where needed, so to speak. And um, by, by being able to, to apply them, often, for example, in, a, in the Australian context, this could be in, in irrigation water, uh, apply the fertilizer more regularly um, the under you know a careful management in other words could lower the nitrous oxide emissions from the soil part of the emissions problem is that is that occasional heavy duty uh, application of fertilizers just means that the that the uh, nitrogen is just sitting in the soil um, ready to um, to to be consumed if you like by um, bacteria uh, which which oxidize it and produces the nitrous oxide which is lost lost into the atmosphere and therefore it's not available to the plants mm. so this is this is this is a process that is of no good to anybody yeah so we really want the plants to um to mm. take it up um, um before anything else happens to it is the way to put it so so new generations of technology around fertilizer production will also allow us to address the nitrous oxide problem um, there's a bit more of a problem so that that's at, that's at the crops level and the grass level, grassland level. Um, when it comes to to, to livestock rearing, uh, I think um, different management practices with the with the herds um, will allow us to reduce the nitrous oxide emissions from from uh, from from that activity. So I think there there are definitely definitely things happening here which will allow emissions from mm. the agricultural sector as a whole. To, to be reduced, and there's no question that the farming community is is, is desperately keen to, to to see this happen. I think I think uh, the use of seaweed as a feedstock for cattle is being implemented as a as a as a, as a way in which to reduce uh, methane uh, emissions, and I think that that's possibly something that's. I just came across this the other day um, during just some readings for for work, and um, that may even be that may even be in the process of being uh, accredited as as a um, carbon farming initiative methodology under um, 
Australia's the Australian government's emissions reduction fund, but I'm not entirely sure about that. I'd have to go and 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 look at that. But yeah, there's the issue's clearly been tackled from lots of angles, and I just wanted to. I wasn't sure if I um, heard correctly. This electro this process of electrolysis um, uh, for creating ammonia in or what, some form of nitrogen uh, fertilizer in, as a replacement to the Haber-Bosch process, does that still require the green hydrogen initially or does that bypass the, pr the production of green hydrogen um, and hydrogen altogether? Uh, the, the latter. So it bypasses hydrogen altogether. That's not part of the mm. process anymore. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So that's, well, then that's obviously very useful because and helpful because there's, if green hydrogen is, let's, a, a founding supply, let's say, a, a, a bedrock supply of green energy going into the future. There's going to be demand for all kind, from all sorts of sectors for that, for that hydrogen. Um, and so a question there, which I wondered if you might have something of an opinion on, was what sectors do you think are going to have the highest demand for these for this green hydrogen and which ones do you think are going to be the, are going to get it first and be able to reduce their emissions directly because that's going that's you know there's a lot of money being thrown around at the moment for offsetting emissions and reducing one's one's emissions and so these big industries if you can get your green hydrogen first then you've got a huge advantage financial advantage over over others and even players with within that industry for example so yeah, um, I think there's little question that from a, you know, if, if um, free market economics um, kind of rules the day, there's no question that the fertilizer application of green hydrogen would always, would always take uh, precedence. Quite simply because, and it's important to, at this point in time, to kind of know what's happened with the price of fertilizers um, uh, over the last couple of years, it's, it's just um, astronomical changes in price. Um, which is extremely difficult for farmers to, to deal with. Um, uh, just to give you an example on, of this, um, the, there's a, a farmer in, in South Australia, a, a wheat, wheat farmer in South Australia, who has been very much engaged with our efforts um, in this regard for a number of years. And she um, is, uh, supplies us with very useful information about you know, what she applies and when she applies for fertilizers, et cetera, et cetera. But in round numbers, she uses uh, approximately 1,000 tonnes just think about that. That's a, a, a thousand lot of tons. material, and uh, and that all has to be arranged to come in you know, relatively sort of um, on time before it's applied. The urea is not is not uh, advised that it sits and around on the farm for long. Sorry, that's annual usage. That's annual usage. Sorry, yes, a thousand that's tons right. annually. So a thousand yeah. tons per year. That's, yeah, that's, um, and that's a lot and. <laughs> Stuff. Yeah. Right. No. no, the price of that has risen um, pro from approximately um, something of the order of $500 a ton to, to something of the order of $2,000 a ton um, just over the last couple of years. That's outrageous. So, so $2,000 a ton um, uh, with 1,000 tons is $2 million worth of fertilizer. Um, and that, you know, wow. fully three quarters of that was sort of an unexpected increase in price. So you can just see how this is this is troublesome times for farmers. Um, so back to my original and point. And what's the though, cause of that? that? 
increase what's the what's the direct cause of that increase in price sorry if you if you if you're not if you're aware multiple multiple um, uh, forces if you like if you, you know, over the last two to three years driving up the price of natural gas which of course is a you know a traded commodity so it's impacted mm -hmm. by a lot mm -hmm. of different okay. um, a different lot of different factors so as, as the price of gas goes up then multiplied up so to speak so does the price of fertilizers and um, yeah. so that's that happened, initial feedstock course. then yeah that's right that's right um, so as I say, we're all probably aware of, of just how in, in, in Australia our gas bills have gone up, um, and uh, and that's feeded feeded directly through, fed directly through, uh, multiplied up to the price of fertilisers. So so then going back to the original question, which is is um, what will be the the way that this market unfolds? Well. Um, the, the the value of green hydrogen fed into in, into the Haber Bosch process for green ammonia to produce green ammonia is is sufficiently high that I think it will it will um, under under sort of free free market economic sort of conditions will definitely um, will be the, the the priority and then you might say that the use of hydrogen as a fuel which is uh, has almost the lowest value uh, of all the things that people do with could do with hydrogen so that that application is like liable to come last or in other words only when volumes are truly enormous yeah okay so hydrogen being directly used as a fuel rather than as is less is takes a back seat in terms of it being used as just as a feedstock for other for other processes or for even being used as for say even for the production of ammonia itself as a f as a fuel, not not a not a fertilizer. Yeah, right. Well, that's that's fascinating. I'm not sure if there's anything else there that I wanted to explore on that topic, and unless you had anything more that you wanted to say on that, um, I think that that's painted quite an interesting picture of the as as our last conversation did of the nature of. Uh, processes and their and their inputs and just the play of energy, I suppose, throughout our global um, economies and the consequences that that has when one's searching for alternative alternative fuel sources and renewable f and renewable fuel sources. And it sounds like though that a technology like the one that you mentioned of an electro an electrolytic system replacing the Haber-Bosch process and being able to be um, instantiated even just at the farm level could really revolutionize that industry, enormously cut costs for farmers and just flip the whole thing on its head and make farming viable again, even if, if, that's, if you're looking at $2 million a year annually just for the fertilizer to then grow the, you know, to grow the grass for the, for the cows. So... Yeah, that sounds like a very powerful yeah. um, bit of technology. Well, absolutely. So I, I think we should probably. Mm. So just just one last thought about mm -hmm. that is I think it's probably important is to, to to recognise that we've discussed this in the context of of, of Australian you know um, um, trends to, or or ambitions towards zero emissions. Um, costs for farming, the need for sustainable farming, etc., etc., etc. But that 
it's important to note just what a big impact these these international um, the increase in international prices for fertilizers is going to have in in other parts of the world uh, where you know this 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 could be um, the beginning of a significant food crisis in the world because um, farmers can't afford if farmers can't afford the same level of fertilizers um, that they might have used to say five years ago in in India or in Africa. Um, where where farming is a very marginal activity economically, mm -hmm. so the first you know mm -hmm. fertilizer goes up, price goes up, then of course they just can't afford to apply as much. Um, net result is lower yields, and the result of that, mm -hmm. of course, is is ultimately in some regions is going to be is going to be starvation. So, I think mm -hmm. this issue um, surrounding um, um, you know the need for um, for alternate sort of sources of fertilizer, so to speak, uh, almost transcends the emissions issue. Um, perhaps one yeah. should also connect right back uh, when we were talking before about why did fertilizer prices go up? Because gas prices go up, have gone up. Why have gas prices have gone up? And this is an unfortunate um, link to, to to draw an inconvenient truth. Um, the gas prices have gone up largely because um, the uh, natural gas is seen as one of the cleaner fossil fuels mm. so mm -hmm. that so that um, various various um, countries are are edging their 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 mix of of energy supply towards gas or gas fired or, um, gas turbine based um, electricity generation for example so snapping up supplies of, of natural gas uh, wherever they, they they can in the world um, because, so they can lower their emissions. So mm -hmm. at that particular point, what you can see is a, a, a genuine tug of war between emissions um, um, lowering mm -hmm. and food supply. And it's not in the same country. It's often it's going to be the richer countries that can afford to pay the high prices for gas, and then the, 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 the less fortunate will be will be um, um, able to produce less food because of the higher prices of fertilizers. So that that ends up um, uh, indicating so unfortunate situation and uh, that's why it's desperately urgent that we we find other ways of making fertilizers well yeah of course and it's an interesting point though with the with the natural gas because it's seen as by many I think as a sort of say for example I believe the the last um, the previous government Australian government sort of proposed Australia's transition to renewable um, fuels, a, new, a renewable economy coming off the back of uh, new um, uh, use and production of natural gas. And that was, you know, not looked upon very favorably by many Australians, I'm sure anyone that might sl slightly call themselves a greenie. But what you've just been talking about calls into question the utility of that, the use of that natural gas and even the necessity of the use of that natural gas, not just for energy supply, but for something like, um, for something like, um, sorry, there's just someone out there knocking on my door, um, for something like fertilizer production. And how can you, so that, well, then that calls into question, well, can we afford to not use uh, natural gas? And can we afford to not, say, open some of these new plants if we're not able to 
in the meantime develop alternative ways of developing ammonia and that then restriction of natural gas and those raising prices destroying our food supply because we weren't willing to utilize more of it in under the guise of reduced emissions and renewable renewable economy and everyone thinking that by crushing the uh, use of natural gas they're saving the world and doing a good thing enforcing the advent of let's say the the, the electric economy so it's that's a tricky question then isn't it because well maybe you're you think you're doing something good in that sense but what you're doing is potentially spelling the downfall of our food supply and particularly particularly in these poorer regions and um, to putting our f farmers worldwide into into poverty to say the least so yeah it's as as these topics always end up being and anything that is enormously systematic and um, um, intricate and complex like that there's just so many aspects isn't there of the story that and it's really it's it's not a straight line to walk and i suppose that's from a purely pragmatic and dispassionate view that's why this this whole process is so difficult and not as easy as some people might think it is and so it's just not it's not a simple solution of going green is it no no, and, and as you say, it's not a straight line either. Uh, we may have to make some compromises, like using more natural gas and less coal. Um, mm. that, that makes sense. Um, but, but it also has that other consequence that you just mentioned. So we've really got to manage that situation very, very uh, carefully. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I think this conversation has highlighted that quite nicely. And that's something that we explored in the last one. And... I think, I think I'm happy to leave that there. If you are, Doug, um, I believe we we accomplished um, what we wanted to here, and this is a very useful little bite-sized segment. I think for a podcast. Was there anything else that you particularly wanted to touch on, or shall we shall we call it at that? No, I think that's a good a good um, expose, so to speak, of the of the situation and uh, and how it's sort of evolving. Awesome. So do I. So do I. Well, thanks again for joining me, Doug. I'm sure we'll have you back on again at some point in the future. And it was a, a pleasure to talk about these topics again. All right, Lucien. I'll Cheers.